Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back. It's the World Soccer Talk podcast, the only podcast that focuses on watching soccer on TV, online, and apps. In episode 80, we discuss what changes Fox can make to improve their next World Cup coverage, news about the UEFA Champions League returning to US airwaves next week, who the 2019 Copa America rights are going to, plus a lot of letters from you, the listeners. My name is Christopher Harris, aka The Gaffer, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kartik Krishnayar. Kartik, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing quite well, uh, Chris. It's good to uh, have a day off from the World Cup. It is, it is. And uh, hopefully you, the listener, too, uh, are having a chance to kind of catch up and take a deep breath. It, it, in a way, it's strange to have no uh, soccer matches on just because we've gotten used to this kind of daily, uh, anywhere from uh, two games to three games a day. Uh, but for a lot of us, I mean, a lot of the listeners, uh, Kartik, you, you two, were used to watching on, on weekends, I mean, Saturdays and Sundays, watching back-to-back-to-back games. So the one interesting thing for me, Kartik, is this World Cup, I have a lot more energy than I did last World Cup. And to be completely honest, it's because I'm watching less television coverage. So four years ago, I would watch the games. I would watch the pre-match, you know, almost the, the second it would come on. Uh, post-match, I would watch all of that. And then I'd be watching the World Cup Tonight show with Lalas and uh, the whole crew. I mean, uh, Twelman, Burley, on the set in Rio, Roberto Martinez. And uh, I think it was Men in Blazers, too. So each of the days of the World Cup four years ago, it was a long day. A lot of TV viewing. Yeah. So far for this World Cup, I've been watching just mostly the games and once the game's over, I'm checking out. And, and, and for me, it's actually, it's been better in a way in terms of having, not being burnt out after, what, three weeks of the tournament. How about you? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I think I'm, I'm fresher this tournament than I've been previous major international tournaments. There have been other factors. Uh, I think the t- 2016 between the Euros and Copa, I was dead. I mean, I think I even took a couple of weeks off of football, if you remember. Those of you who listened to the show back then and just... I came back into the club season a mess because it had been it had been too much back to back Copa America here in the U.S. Uh, the European uh, the Euros in France uh, running simultaneously at times uh, the two major uh, confederation you know, the, the two big tournaments outside the World Cup in, in international football happening simultaneously for the first time since 2004. Um, so that was a tough 2014 World Cup. I completely agree, Chris. I think I, I was exhausted at the end of those days. I would try and watch every bit of ESPN. 
ESPN coverage. I also think going thinking back 2010 World Cup, uh, I tried to get as much of the coverage, uh, absorb as much of the coverage as possible. So I do think I'm fresher. Now, here's the difference. I think, unfortunately, in those World Cups and Euros, I'm going to admit this now to listeners who many of you have been listening to me for a decade. So I'm going to admit I cheat a bit, um, which is not something I, I should, but I'm going to. In a lot of those tournaments, there are drab, dour matches. And there are also matches when you look at the schedule, uh, the, the fixtures before the tournament, you're like, yeah, maybe this is a day I can kind of mail it in, right? I can kind of adjust, tweak my schedule accordingly. Uh, that happened in, in the Euros in 16. Um, that happened in, in World Cup in 2014. That happened in the Copa. Uh, that happened definitely in World Cup 2010, which was not a really a particularly good tournament, in my opinion. Um, this, this World Cup has been really good. So, Chris, it's, it's the best since 1986. It's possibly, quite possibly, the best since 1970. That might be blasphemy to a lot of you uh, football historians out there, but it's been that good, this tournament, thus far. Granted, we're only at the quarterfinal stage, but to this point, it's up there with 86 and 70 as the best World Cups of all time. I will agree that it's been exciting. Um, I would not say it's been the best since uh, 1970. I mean, to, to me, 1982 is the one that I always go back to. And it was just an incredible World Cup uh, from start to finish. And, and I'm sure in that World Cup, too, there were some boring games. Um, but going back to what you said, Kartik, I think all of us are guilty of that in many ways, the listeners. Uh, you mean, sometimes there'll be games on, you mean, if it's... Um, I don't know, Sweden against Denmark or something like that. And it's just, it's kind of a, a nothing game. I mean, it means a lot, but it's just, it's the, both the teams are canceling each other out. So sometimes I'm, I'm working at the same time. So, you mean, I'm not have the 100% focus on the game. Uh, others I'll be, I mean, I'll switch off all devices and we'll just focus on that one game. So I, I think and sometimes, I mean, even recording games. Sometimes in the past I would fast forward through games. So, Nothing to be ashamed of, especially especially with soccer with so much uh, on and we've got our I mean, our lives and families and everything else going on at the same time. But it has been an, an exciting World Cup for sure. Uh, I think part of it, a lot of it, has been just the number of goals and a lot of late goals. Um, there's been a lot of people talking about the surprises. And to me, that they actually haven't been that many surprises in, in this World Cup. Uh, to me, the biggest surprise is Germany getting knocked out. Uh, everything else, for the most part, is going according to plan. I, I don't think there's any huge yeah, surprises. Yeah, I, I would say maybe Russia beating Spain, but when you play the host country, even if you're a favorite, you got there's a chance you lose. So, yeah, I mean, the, if you look at the quarterfinals, Chris, honestly, there isn't anyone where it blows your mind. Oh my gosh, I can't believe. I mean, there are people saying that about Sweden, but Sweden historically has been very good. It's just this is a post-Slaton post-Henrik Larsson, Sweden, a, a period of time when we thought they were probably going to rebuild and not make this World Cup. But it's still Sweden who have a, a pretty tremendous international pedigree. And then who else? Uh, Uruguay, I think most of us thought would be there. I think they'll be in the final, um, although I'm hedging out with Cavani's injury. But I, I picked them before the tournament to make the final. France, we knew they'd be there. England, we thought they could be there. Uh, Belgium, we, we thought we knew they'd be there. Brazil, we knew they'd be there. So I, I don't know that there are that many real, right. real Croatia. shots. Croatia, right. Croatia, we thought they could be there, but they always underachieve. But if they finally reach their potential, not only are they quarterfinalists, maybe they're finalists. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, I've bought into that narrative that there have been so many surprises. But, Chris, now that you mentioned who's actually still standing, Russia's the only one that 
of the of the eight that yeah, I can say, oh boy, that's kind of su- a surprise, but they're hosting, so yeah. that's an equalizer. And, and and that's been the narrative for the most part from Fox is uh, this World Cup is so full of surprises. Well, it, it really isn't. I mean, to me, at the end of the day, and and, and to me, I, I love soccer. I mean, soccer is my life. Um, I can't, but I can't, I can't watch Fox's pre-match and post-match analysis in the studio. I've tried. Uh, I've given them plenty of chances, um, but it's so repetitive. It's uninformative. It, it's boring and predictable, and it has absolutely zero value. Uh, and so, what I've done is really, I've kind of tuned in. I'll, I'll tune in for maybe a couple of minutes to see who's who's on the set. Uh, I'll switch off and then either listen to the radio or catch up on some work and then go back to watch the game itself and to me that fox is missing out i mean i'm not the only one i'm sure fox is missing out big time on uh trying to captivate that viewer trying to get them in early starting watching the pre-game i mean the hype building up to the game uh half time you know when all those ads are coming at you post-match you mean trying to keep captivate that that viewer keep them watching and then late night trying to get them to encourage to go back and watch some of the the comedy or some of the analysis that they have and to me i mean fox has run out of things to talk about now that messi and ronaldo are out of the tournament and the daily discussion i I don't think you've been watching it but it's now turned to power rankings (laughs) Every, every single day so you have Rob Stone talking about power rankings and Alexi going through and say, "Oh, watch out, guys! I think Mexico is going to go up uh, if they if, if they win this game against um, uh, Brazil, uh, so on and so forth." And and even some of the commentators have picked up on that and saying, "Okay, well, I wonder what this re- result will mean uh, to Alexi's power rankings." <laughs> and and you laugh. I, I wasn't but, aware of this. But... Right. Well, you you've been missing all all this fun. So so. I, I've I've pretty much given up on watching Fox's uh, coverage. Um, what I've been doing is switching um, either to uh, Telemundo at times. Not as much Telemundo right now because um, it's it's an SD for me. It's not in HD. Now, one tip is I have Fubo uh, and I'm I'm a cord cutter, so I can go into Telemundo uh, Deportes and Vivo the app. And then log in with my Fubo credentials, and then get uh, a stream which is pretty much HD quality. It, it's a really high quality stream, so that's one way of doing it. The other thing I've been doing is watching uh, quite a bit of ITV uh, on a VPN, um, or watching something completely different entirely. Catching up on podcasts uh, during kind of the the pre-match or post-match, or just doing catching up on on other things. But to me, Fox's inability to hold my attention. It's, it's a sad indictment, and uh, I don't think I'm the only one. And I'm someone who's usually very patient. I'll give them plenty of chances, uh, and I'll keep on coming back. But at this point, I've pretty much uh, given up and uh, ready to move on. Yeah, and I'll tell you, to supplement my own uh, lack of box watching, uh, zero fox watching, quite frankly. And I've actually been stoned. I've talked to some of the people I know, and they're saying, well, we're trying to watch fox. We're watching fox. I I, I, I applaud them for their patience because I gave up on Fox before the tournament. And uh, maybe that's an indictment of me to a certain extent, but I wasn't willing to, uh, to, to put up with this nonsense. I, I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to uh, have my blood pressure raised. I mean, th- this month is stressful enough for those of us in the business. Uh, I don't need my blood pressure raised by having to watch Fox and react to uh, Fox punditry, uh, the very generic um, Americanized punditry that they give. But um I've had to supplement my viewing 
by uh, watching you know YouTube videos of of uh, like Tifo Football's excellent YouTube videos, which I've been watching since they they debuted a couple of years ago right, as Umax Umax ninety, I think they were in those days, or Umax Umax Football. Uh, been having to supplement with that. I've been supplementing with trying to get as much ITV and BBC coverage as possible. Obviously, I've been watching uh, Telemundo and I've been watching ESPN FC. And anytime I know uh, uh, the, the 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 great Taylor Twellman. Uh, and I and I use that term. I know that that's a that's a loaded term, but compared to the pundits we're seeing on Fox, uh, Taylor Twellman is the great American pundit of international football. Uh, when anytime uh, Taylor Twellman is on ESPN, and I, I'm aware he'll be on, I'll, I'll make sure I, I DVR it or watch it live and, and uh, give it a listen. But um, I'm not watching Fox. I um, I empathize a little bit with Fox. I think that they. Uh, may not have realized how great the backlash would be. ESPN had this same sort of tournament in 2006. And they quickly pivoted before the Euros in 2008. Uh, Fox won't have another major international tournament, I don't believe, uh, until 2022. The 2022 World Cup, the Euros in 2020 are on uh, ESPN still. So maybe this will be a learning experience. Is that me being too generous, Chris? Or or is this this who they are? No, I think it's fair. I mean, I mean... When I was thinking about Fox's coverage today, it's not that they're dumbing down the coverage. It's just that it's very blasé. It's very, I mean, a flat line. There isn't much, and there's very little really intelligent analysis, um, except when you've had the Martin O'Neill, uh, Clarence Sadoff, and uh, Alexi Lalas, and, and Kate Abdo. So the four of them work really well together. Um but I, I think it's fair. I mean, it, it really is. And it's not meant to be any Fox bashing. It's meant to be more of honest criticism. It's just it's not really interesting to watch. There's not, there's very few surprises. There's, I mean, with, I mean, ITV as one example. And, and this is something a little bit different. But ITV, I watched, uh, so I watched the first half of the England-Columbia uh, game on Fox. And they had uh, Derek Ray and Ali Wagner. And I thought that both of them did great. This is probably the best game that they've commentated. So I watched the first half. And then halftime, I switched over to ITV to see what they were doing. ITV, uh, as soon as I switched on, uh, Gary Neville uh, was talking about uh, calling one of the Colombian coaches a numpty which is an English kind of slang word for for an idiot. And uh, I was like, what's this about? I, I, I didn't see anything about on Fox about this. And what had happened was one of the uh, Colombian coaches had uh, shoulder barged Raheem Sterling as he's running off the pitch at halftime. And so I thought, this is, this is really good analysis. I mean, this is something I didn't see on Fox. They're going into detail about, you mean, how disrespectful this is and you mean, kind of how, how dirty... The Colombian team's uh, Colombia team was in that first half, and then the rest of the match I watched um, on ITV with the, the commentary. And I'd say actually the commentary on ITV isn't the greatest. Um, who who were the commentators? It was uh, Clive Tildesley and Glenn Hoddle. Right. And yeah, yeah. Glenn Hoddle's pretty humdrum, pretty boring. Clive Tildesley is uh, kind of an iconic uh, uh, British announcer. Not the greatest, not the worst. It's just okay. Uh, and actually, one of the matches I watched earlier in the week was um, with Sam Matterface commentating, and then Gary Neville as co-commentator. And Sam Matterface um, was fine, but to me, uh, kind of stooped down to kind of talk sport level. Uh, it was, uh, I think, one of the uh, another corny, um, cliche kind of statement. Uh, I think after uh, Schmeichel saved one of the penalties, uh, talking about uh, how he saved uh, Dane's bacon. 
or something like that, which is a very kind of British uh, remark to make in terms of uh, Danish bacon, which is they're, they're famous for that. And, and that's something that reminded me of John Strong talking about, uh, I mean, Iceland beat, beats Argentina 1-1, uh, yeah, that kind of statement. There is a, a, a lack of freshness to ITV's coverage. Okay, so I've, uh, as I prefaced a, a few minutes ago, I've watched a lot of ITV and the BBC to supplement or to offset me not watching Fox. Um, I, Clyde Tilsley has been calling every World Cup that I can remember since 98. And Brian Moore was around then too for ITV. But I, I, he, he, he's, he's very tired to me. It's a tired voice. Yeah. And it's funny, I don't feel that way about Martin Tyler. Uh, when he calls Premier League matches, but I do feel that way about Clyde Tilsley. I, I uh, and Glenn Hoddle to me is just terrible. I loved him as a player. Yeah. Uh, I think he, he he knows the game uh, in and out, but just he's he's poor. Uh, I haven't been impressed with Ryan Giggs. Uh, Gary Neville has been hit or miss. Um, Lee Dixon, I don't think has been as good as he is on NBC. Um, Sabin Billich is good. I, I've liked him a lot when yeah. I've seen. Him. I think. I haven't been thrilled with ITV. Whereas BBC, Chris, I mean, we'll get into this in a minute. They've been really good. I've liked the BBC coverage a lot. Yeah, yeah. I think ITV's commentary is their weak weakness, and um, the actual analysis to me is okay. It's it's pretty it's good. I mean, you got Martin O'Neill on there almost every day. Lee Dixon maybe it's not as good as when he's on Fox, um, NBC, NBC, yeah, NBC because he goes into more detail. But he, he's been good. Uh, Gary Neville always gives some great insight about defending, um, which is uh, he was praising um, Trippier for England as as a right back and just some some of the the, the great uh, decisions he was making during the game. Um, so I, I think the studio analysis is fine, but but to me. I'd much prefer to watch that studio analysis than I would Fox's studio analysis. And Fox is not giving me anything with ITV. At least the analysis is interesting. There's some different things they're talking about, which, I mean, if I'd watched Fox's coverage... Oh, actually, so I tuned in back into Fox's coverage for the second half of the England game against Columbia. And Derek Ray, to his credit, right at the beginning said there's been reports of a halftime kind of skirmish between Raheem Sterling and one of the Colombian coaches... And, and full credit to Derek Ray for, for mentioning that, because otherwise Fox would have completely ignored it. And that's something from Derek Ray's perspective with his um, experience. I'm sure he was keeping an eye on Twitter and probably saw a tweet about that and, and then just kind of mentioned it to the viewers. And, and, and that's, that's fantastic. But that's something that the studio analysis at halftime should be doing, keeping a close eye on things like yeah. that. Right, right. And, I, and I've noticed in the past at Fox tournaments, John Strong's come back after halftime. Uh, or, or J.P. Delcam or whoever and have to give that information. Rob Stone uh, is never giving that information. Uh, on the BBC front, I'll say you know, Cesc Fabregas and Pablo Zabaleta have been really good. I think uh, Alan Shearer and Jermaine Genius are better than I remember them doing other things for the BBC. Uh, they've been very, very good. I think uh, when I've seen Rio Ferdinand, he hasn't been bad. Um I, I think just in general, they've been better. Uh, I, I like Oatley at ITV. Uh, I like Jackie Oatley. I think she's she's always good. Uh, but I haven't. I've been underwhelmed with them. Otherwise, I'll disagree with you a little bit on that. And I, I have sure. been underwhelmed by Gary Neville this tournament. Honestly, uh, I mean, maybe it's because of the standard I expect from him. But it seems like he's uh, he's not giving me the level of insight. Uh, and tactical analysis I get when I'm watching the, the, the BBC pundits. Yeah. Including oh, oh, Shearer, believe it or not, who I've yeah. in the very, past been very critical of. 
Yeah, and Gary Neville too, as far as kind of being on Sky Sports, kind of the Sky Sports uh, Monday Night Football. But that, that, I think it has more time to prepare, more time to kind of look at analysis. Uh, and with the World Cup happening, it's very much uh, very spontaneous. And that's the thing that's lacking in the studio for Fox is that uh, it is so scripted, it is so formulaic that they don't seem to be able to adapt to to anything that happens, especially late in the games where they need to kind of comment on it. Usually they'll just kind of ignore it and just stick to the scripts or stick to How the talking much points. This is- uh, having a Rob Stone versus having a Bob Lee or a Mike Tirico. Because I think as I talk to people, and again, I'm not watching Fox's coverage, so I'm relying on a lot of you that listen to the show, readworldsoccertalk.com, interact with me on Twitter um, to, to, to fill in the gaps here. But my my takeaway from what a lot of you are telling me is that it's the but, the buttons that are being pushed by the host are, are incorrect uh, or are not provocative or are not actually reacting to what's what's been going on. Uh, and they're very scripted. Now, when Kate Apto is in there, it's a little bit better. So I'm thinking it, it, as much as it's the Fox problem, it may also be the wrong choice of host, which is unfortunate because Rob Stone is a soccer guy. But maybe he's better as a soccer guy in the role ESPN previously had him in, in World Cups from 98 to 2010. He was uh, covering all those World Cups. And he was a guy that was a reporter. He was a guy who specialized in the U.S. team. He did some features. But maybe he's not the guy to host a studio at a major tournament. I think I think a lot of it depends on the producer and, and in terms of how much flexibility that Rob Stone has. So, you I mean, if the producer kind of keeps everything really tight, okay, here's the talking points, bang, 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 bang. Okay, this is this is all, we, all the time we have. Let's move on, you mean, to commercials. Uh, or if the producer has more uh, kind of, I guess, um, uh, I, I guess trust, really. It's really a tr- kind of a trust factor in that host to say to the host, okay, if you spot something and you want to bring something up on the fly, go ahead and mention it. And, and guys, you mean kind of the analysts on the team, Lalas, Martin O'Neill, Clarence, be ready because I'm, 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 I'm probably going to talk about this topic. This is a big one. Um, and with Rob, as far as his questioning, it is very softball, basic, nothing really, nothing too deep. And, and with Kate, she's a little bit better than that um, and seems more relaxed on set. And but I mean, so 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 again, it could be the producer, uh, it could be the host, but uh, whatever it is, it's you I mean, the chemistry is there between Lalas and Rob Stone, but really, kind of you don't. I, I mean, to me, at, to this point, I mean, it's still the, the best team is Martin O'Neill, Clarence Sadoff, Lalas, and Kate Abdo, and it's so rare to have them all on the set at the same time. You I mean because Martin O'Neill's working for ITV. Uh, Clarence, we're still not sure if he has other commitments. Uh, Lalas is always there. And then usually they'll bring in you mean, uh, Kelly Smith or Ian Wright uh, and then flip back and forth between Kate and, and Rob Stone. There's been a lot of criticism of Lexi Lalas from people giving me uh, thoughts. I have seen Lalas excel in these situations. I don't want to sound like I'm, I, I, I'm being overly defensive of him because I, I, I share some very same critiques about him. But I have seen him excel in these situations if the buttons are pushed correctly, Chris, and you have too, I know, I know you have in yeah. major tournaments. You were 2012 on ESPN uh, when the hosts were either Bob Lee or, or Rebecca Lowe. It, it, same thing uh, in uh, Euro 20, uh, sorry, uh, World Cup 2014 with Mike Tirico. I, I mean, it's, it's. Um, I think it's a byproduct of who, who, who he's surrounded with uh, yeah. because I hear constant complaints about Lawless, but they're they're different than what we were dealing with in 12 and 14 with and 10 going back to 10 on ESPN 
uh, with him. Yeah, uh, and especially this is a return to 2006, Alexi Lawless. Really, when he was he was terrible during that World Cup, but by 2010, he was quite good. So. I think he's just – he's like that guy in a team that's a central defender because that's what he played, that uh, his mistakes reflect those around him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we have a lot of listeners that, are, that work within ESPN, within BN Sports, within Fox, within NBC. So a lot of them are listening to this probably nodding their heads and, and saying, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a way to get the best out of Lalas. Uh, you either love Lalas or you hate him, but many of us will watch him just to see what he says uh, and to get, to get that reaction. And I think uh, Fox is still trying to figure out what that chemistry is. Three weeks into the tournament, they should know by now. Um, it's learning lessons for the next World Cup. And let's talk about that, context. Let's talk about the next World Cup. Uh, to me, I, I have no problem uh, naming names. But for me, from the, the current crew that Fox have has right now, the only ones that I would keep for the next World Cup that are on the, the studio set so not the commentators, but just the studio, studio set, are Kate Abdo, Martin O'Neill, Clarence Sadoff, Alexi Lalas, Ian Joy, which we hardly see, but he's, he's there. Um, actually, not in Russia, but he's in Los Angeles. And, and that's it. And to me, out goes Kelly Smith, Gus Hedink, uh, Moises Munoz, uh, Hernan Crespo, Fernando Fiore, Kobe Jones, Dr. Joe, Ian Wright, and Grant Wall. To me, those folks add no value. I, I see from Fox's perspective in terms of them wanting to keep a mostly all-American crew for World Cup 20, for 20, well, 2018, but probably, I'm sure, for 2022, too. And um, I think I, they need to go aggressively into the hiring mode to get the people, the talent that they, they need to really have a really good studio analysis team. And they're out there, Kartik. I mean, you mentioned before, just at, at the beginning of this uh, show, Taylor Twellman. Again, Taylor Twellman is somebody, somebody that uh, you mean, a lot of people love, a lot of people hate, but he is, as a, as a studio analyst, I don't know one of the best. Anymore. I mean, I, oh, think, yeah, yeah. Oh, so I, think, I think what's <laughs> happened is because of Fox getting their hands on so many major tournaments, uh, the Women's World Cup, the Gold Cup, the uh, Copa America, and now uh, the World Cup, those people who criticized Twellman four years ago now, now wish that he were there. So. I think that if there are people who have been critical of Twelman in the past, they may be critical of Twelman in the past because they're 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 protecting some sort of entity that he criticizes. I, I don't think anyone who's an objective soccer fan in this country <laughs> is any longer critical of Taylor Twelman. Well, I, that's I, the I, thing. Perfectly honest. That's my my experience. <laughs> Everybody I talk to loves him. Well, no, no, no. I I love him. I mean, I, when you said that about objective soccer fans, there's a lot of soccer fans out there that are not objective. So, but there's a lot of people out there that still do not like him for whatever reason. But, but to me, he. Yeah, I haven't come across those people, but okay. They're okay, they're, they're, they, they're out there. Trust me. Um, but to me, Taylor Twellman should be somebody that you you try to get from ESPN and bring him over to Fox. You mean give him however much money he needs, and and that's somebody that Twelman and Lalas right there. You've got that chemistry, and you've got that debate because they don't agree all the time. They're going to debate on set. The other person, Carl Martino. Imagine if you had a set. You had say Kate uh, Abda hosting. You had Lalas, Taylor Twelman, and Carl Martino. All all four of those on set debating a topic or, or going into more detail. Uh, all, th- those guys are all talkative. <laughs> so you'd have to have a host that would be able hey, to no, kind of cut them short. Show, this goes back to the whole Fox thing, okay? So Casey Keller has been very good uh, in, in Bristol on ESPN FC. No surprise there. Brian McBride has been in the last week. 
And he was terrible when he was on Fox doing Champions League. He is really good when he's surrounded by Dan Thomas asking the right questions, uh, Stuart Robson or Steve McManaman, and uh, Craig Burley. I mean, I really like McBride's analysis this last week during this World Cup. Yep. He could go back to Fox and do a credible job if the surrounding cast is good. So that goes back to the initial point I think, Chris, we're thinking, which is this is more cultural and institutional at each network versus uh, specific to, 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 to talent. I agree with your list. I, I think my, my list would be exactly the same. I get rid of the, the, the people you, 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 you have on there with the possible exception of, of, of Dr. Joe, depending on uh, you know how he's used. But I, I agree with that. I agree with the list of people you keep. But I think it's more Fox ESPN production-wise. I know that that's a very cruel, harsh reality to deal with. Mm -hmm. But maybe any amount of talent you plug in on the Fox team isn't going to change it. Because, again, just take McBride, for example. Unlistenable when he was on the Champions League on Fox. Yep. It's excellent top-drawer analysis I've seen now for several years. He, he's not a regular on ESPN FC, but they basically bring him in for a month, uh, one month each, uh, or a week each month. Um, and uh, this week, this month, it happens to be this week. And uh, really top-drawer stuff because he's got Craig Burley next to him. He's got Ali Moreno. He's got Dan Thomas. He's got, this week, it's been Maka. The previous uh, week, it was Stuart Robson. But, you know, they always have this collection of talent. Uh, that brings the best out of their pundits yeah. who, who know the sport. Every single one of these people, I know there'll be people on uh, Twitter and such fans who say, oh, yeah, Alexi Lalas doesn't know football. Yeah, well, he does, actually. But it's who you surround them with yeah. um, and how you bring the best out of them. And Fox just doesn't do it. They're, they're, they're not, they've proven time and again they're not able to do it. My hope is they blow it up for World Cup 2022, and it, institutionally they do what ESPN did after 20, 2006. And I don't think they will, though. And that's and that's okay. that's well, the that's issue, just because of because of the Women's World Cup next summer. So you can guarantee that Rob Stone's going to be hosting. You can guarantee Lalas will be there, and you can guarantee that probably Kelly Smith's going to be there. It's going to be probably mostly the same crew. Um, I don't think it's going to be that many changes. And um, I mean, Fox probably looking at the TV ratings probably says like even with the US not in the World Cup, we're doing pretty well. I mean. A lot of the, the games have brought in the most number of viewers so far. Most of them have been Mexico games, but um, averaging roughly on the high end with Telemundo and Fox combined for TV, anywhere from 9 million to 11 to 12 million. So the numbers are decent. I mean, at the, without the U.S. in the World Cup just shows that there's a, a voracious appetite for soccer in the United States, no matter if you're watching Fox or Telemundo or whatever you're watching. Uh, it's out there. There's demand out there for sure. Um, but I don't see Fox changing that much. I mean, to me, whoever's advising them on the talent should be fired. I mean, the crew that they have, for the most part, are weak. The whole issue with Lothar Mateus, which is laughable at this point in terms of uh, right at the, I mean, actually after the World Cup had already started, opening weekend, uh, effectively letting him go. Uh, I don't know if he was fired or what. And talking about schedule conflicts. Meanwhile, anyone watching the World Cup, you've seen Lothar Mateus so many times uh, in the crowd for yeah. all the big games. And he's been doing uh, analysis for BN Sports. So anyone watching the BN Sports uh, World Cup Extra program, you would have seen uh, Lothar Mateus giving his analysis on that show. So who, I don't know what yeah, happened there. Moment, I think it was during the Croatia-Denmark uh, game where I, I got home uh, in the middle of the first half and got to watch it on Telemundo from there on out. But I was out with some friends getting lunch, watching it on Fox at the beginning. And the camera, I think it was that game, panned to Lothar Mateus. 
Yep. Now, I wonder what was said by the... Well, it's funny, because I, I, actually, I, I think the first three or four times that Lothar Mateus, three or four different matches that Lothar Mateus appeared on screen, I think JP was one of them, John Strong was another one, but the commentator kind of didn't mention Lothar Mateus until there was like halftime highlights for one of the games, and I think Alexi Lala said, like, oh, look, there's Lothar Mateus there. Um, which to me then actually says that probably Fox has no control over the highlights, because in that case, yeah. if it's coming from... Uh, HBS, which is the host broadcasting uh, service, which is worldwide. They're probably getting that feed of the the, the halftime or post-match highlights. Otherwise, if Fox was do, uh, editing those highlights, they would have cut out the Lothar Mateus part of it. Um, but, Kartik, anything else? I mean, looking at the next World Cup, um, I mean, four years away, but is there anything else that you would change uh, to improve their Fox's analysis and to get to get you, as one example, to get you watching Fox instead of uh, watching Telemundo. Yeah, get rid of the clunky graphics. Get rid of the loud, uh, the loud. Uh, uh, pro- the way they produce things is different than ESPN. We've talked about this forever on this show. The way they produce things is different than NBC. There's these loud graphics. There's these, you know, uh, talk over. There's this kind of dumbing down of terminology. Even if you watch the uh, the beginning of a program, even before they throw it to Rob Stone. I, 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 that I've done actually during this World Cup. I've said, okay, I'm going to give it a shot. Nine o'clock, uh, let me flip it on. If I'm in my office, nine o'clock, let me flip it on uh, on my iPad instead of going into the lounge and watching it on Telemundo uh, or the conference room. And um, I, I lost in the intro. <laughs> it's not like ESPN, it's like this always this very kind of dignified opening. You, you know what I'm saying, yeah, Chris. Yeah. I think a lot of listeners want to. So that would be the first thing I changed because even to hook me, even when I tried to watch it, I'm like ah, this is typical Fox. <laughs> and it's just like Fox News. I mean, you turn it, or there are other cable news channels are like that. They're just very loud and abrasive, and they feel like they have, they feel like the viewer has no critical thinking skills or no independent thought, and they got to ram it home on you. Right. And um, our society isn't like that anymore. I'm sorry. I don't know if it ever was like that, but. Um, they, there's a fundamental misunderstanding of their audience. And so until they do some actual market research, instead of making assumptions about the, um, about the, the, um, the people they're marketing to and, and the audience, Chris, based on hopeful, uh, hopefulness, who they want to hook, or based on their own biases and prejudices. I know they'll say they have market research saying, oh, we can engage the average American sports fan. We can engage all the people in middle America doing this. But... To this point, it is proven not to be a winning formula, and I think it's based on an inherent bias. You could say, oh, they're doing market research, but they're starting at a certain point wanting to prove that their built-in biases are correct. Now, people could argue that about you and me, Chris, and uh, a lot of the people who listen to our show and and, and interact with us uh, in the game that we're inherently biased. We prefer a more uh, anglicized version of, 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 of presentation versus an Americanized version. That's fair. But I think the market has, has has judged this now. I think what we've seen between 2006 and 2018 is an evolution in how Americans who actually are, are, are interested in this sport want to engage and consume this sport, okay? So you have to respond to that. That is the market. That is your audience box, not uh, what you think it is. So let's hope that they, they get the memo in uh, 2019 in France, Women's World Cup. Let's hope they... Uh, the way uh, 2011 was covered by ESPN, not the way they uh, 2015 in Vancouver in, in Canada wasn't as bad as I thought it might be on Fox, but their coverage has gotten worse since then. 
Yeah, for me, uh, some of the changes I would make, uh, one is to um, not have so much pre-match coverage and post-match coverage. I would start probably half an hour before the game time rather than... I think Kate Abdo has the early show, which starts, at, I think, at 7 o'clock in the morning Eastern time. And then you have Rob Stone coming at 9 o'clock Eastern for the 10 o'clock game. So you have effectively three hours of uh, pre-game coverage, which is way too much. Um, so I, I would start half an hour before and then post-match, uh, keep it to 30 minutes. I mean, because it seems to be just dragged out. Yes, it's showing highlights, but dragged out with no information in, in all those that time. The other thing um, I would focus on is that that late night show. And uh, for anyone who missed it, uh, Trevor Noah, who's a uh, stand-up comedian, but also does, I think, a late night show, uh, had a segment, a short segment, talking about the differences between American commentators, British commentators, and then Latino commentators. And um, to me, having the late night show be hosted by a late night person or somebody with late night uh, experience would be much better than the current format, which which now really is is Kate Abdo and Fernando Fiore working together. I think they uh, they saw pretty quickly that F- Fernando Fiore by himself could not lead this a, as a host. Um, but I would change the format of that. And then studio analysis, I would gut it replace them with some uh, intelligent people that could have intelligent conversations and give viewers a opportunity to keep on watching that channel rather than flipping back and forth between other channels. Um, and that, it, to me, it's not rocket science. I mean, we know who, who this talent is. We know uh, the, the good ones, the bad ones, the mediocre ones. Um, it shouldn't be rocket science. And, and that's the thing, too, going back to uh, Fox. I mean, Fox, four years ago, was in Brazil on ESPN set, they ESPN invited them to uh, to sit in on the set to see how the production was handled, to behind the scenes, to see how they went through the whole routine on a daily basis. So four years ago, Fox would have had some really great intelligence about uh, what ESPN was doing. Yes, Fox wants to put their own spin on it, and uh, it is Fox's style, which is completely different. But um, there, there must have been some things they must have learned from there four years ago. Uh, for for now, uh, maybe it was more on the back end production side. Maybe it wasn't on the talent side. Maybe they, they thought on the talent side they had it uh, they had it taken care of. And as we've seen up, up until this point, um, it's been mediocre, really mediocre. So, contact uh, buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there is a better way to buy, and that's with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last minute deal planning a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. Now, I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere, and just with a few taps, I can instantly find seats. I actually just used SeatGeek uh, this week to look for tickets for the International Champions Cup uh, games coming to uh, South Florida for my kids. Uh, now, SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. It saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get the most bang for your, gu- for your buck, uh, SeatGeek uh, grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket, from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. And best of all, 
my listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code WSTPOD today. That's promo code WSTPOD for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now, Kartik, let's move on to TV streaming news. Yeah, some of you may have heard this already this week. Uh, Verizon is shutting down the Go90 app, Chris. Uh, obviously, that affects NWSL more than anything uh, in terms of uh, viewers in the U.S. Uh, you could, uh, I'm told NWSL will continue to produce the matches uh, using VistaLink in, in Fort Lauderdale, where the uh, announcers are based and where the production teams are based, and will distribute them themselves at least for the remainder of this 20, what, 2018 uh, NWSL. So if you're a fan of women's football, women's soccer, uh, you're, there's going to be no interruption in actually being able to see the matches. You'll just uh, consume them differently after uh, the end of July. It's July 30th, I believe, they're shutting down, July 31st. Yeah, to me, actually, this one is a bigger hit for those that watch uh, BN Sports. So, I, I mean, the perfect example is the World Cup qualifiers, especially when they uh, involve yeah. the U.S. men's national team and it's, it's an away game in Trinidad or in Honduras or wherever. Um, a lot of those games, uh, the rights to those games are um, on, on BN Sports. And for a lot of viewers and listeners that may not watch BN Sports that much, that's for the average U.S. men's national team soccer fan who's like a diehard fan he or she may just watch major league soccer and watch the the men's team or women's team um so it's very unlikely that they're watching being sports that much and and this was a great gateway to get them into watching being sports for free that's gone so i mean the good thing about being sports is we know that it's available through uh, almost all the streaming devices or, or platforms out there so it is very accessible but to me this is the big hit and um We'll have to wait and see what happens because, uh, you mean, if, if, if it's somebody else that kind of picks up something similar to this, I, I doubt it, though. I think uh, I think Go90's gone and it's bit the dust and um, we move on to Sling TV and Fubo and DirecTV now, etc. Now, in the next piece of news, uh, Optus, which is a streaming service in Australia, has handed over all of the rights to the all remaining World Cup games to SBS, which is the TV company in Australia, after a streaming disaster. We reported this uh, a couple of weeks ago that uh, they were having problems with, uh, I think, the first week of games, uh, streaming issues, and uh, they went ahead and temporarily gave some of the games to SBS to go ahead and stream there. Now they've officially kind of uh, thrown up their hands and said, we can't do it, and all the games now are on SBS on the streaming as well as television. So um, thank God we didn't have to experience anything, anything like this in the U.S., but uh, I feel sorry for those uh, fans down under that had to go through this experience. Yeah, I've been hearing all about that since actually the first day of the World Cup from uh, folks in Australia since the Saudi Arabia-Russia game had problems uh, starting from the get-go. Uh, moving on, Bleacher Report, some of you who follow me on Twitter would have already been, uh, tweeted it earlier. Bleacher Report will officially debut its live coverage of the Champions League on Tuesday, they're the new rights holders, remember, uh, or Turner Sports, is, with their first game, which will feature Celtic in the qualifying rounds of the competition. The game will be available for free via the Bleacher Report live website and app. So that's another exciting thing. Uh, the note I got said it's free on us, which is uh, which is neat. I don't know how much longer that free service will uh, will run, maybe through the qualifying rounds. Maybe it's just going to be to hook in Celtic fans uh these first two matches and hope they progress and, and then they'll start charging. But uh, it will be free next Tuesday. 
uh, usual Champions League start time in the uh, afternoon U.S. time. Yeah, and the free streaming was supposed to end uh, June 30th. So it's interesting that uh, they're continuing this for a little bit longer. Uh, they're also going to have Europa League games. And uh, full credit to Bleacher Report. I mean, they've got uh, all of the qualifying rounds, all of those games. So a lot of the games that in previous years um, Fox didn't show, uh, even on like Fox Soccer Match Pass, they didn't show it on there. In games featuring really, really small teams from really small countries, uh, those games are going to be on Bleach Report Live. <laughs> yeah. So once I got the note about the Celtic uh, match this morning, we're recording on Wednesday, by the way, July 4th, uh, I went on to the app, opened it, and couldn't believe the list of uh, matches in Europa League that yeah. they're going to show. All these obscure, you know, the sub, the sub uh, qualifying rounds, uh, Eastern European teams mostly, or Nor- uh, Nordic teams, Scandinavian teams. Really impressive that they're, I guess, going to take the UEFA streams because UEFA does stream every match and throw it on Bleacher Report Live. So uh, for those of you who are thinking about signing up when they make it a pay service, I think they're going to offer us potentially, just based on that first look, a lot more than maybe we thought they were. They're probably going to give us everything. Yeah, and in previous summers, we've had I mean, West Ham United and, and other teams that had to go through, I think Everton too, had to go through Everton, qualifying yeah. rounds of Europa League, and most of those games weren't available. Or, or some of them actually were avail- available on BN Sports for like a month before uh, Fox would actually start showing the games in late August or so. And here we are, beginning of July, and we've got games available, which is, which is great to see. Uh, moving on, uh, Telemundo has acquired the Spanish language TV and streaming rights to Copa America 2019, which will be hosted in Brazil. In addition to the teams from Conmebol, who will be participating, uh, the invited teams will be Japan and Qatar. Uh, so no USA, no Mexico. Uh, for Japan, that's a great, another great opportunity to continue to step up the ladder. And for Qatar... Uh, it's all about uh, 2022 and trying to get this team in, in, in a shape where they're going to be, you mean, hopefully getting out of the group stages. Uh, I'm sure that's what, what Cutter's hoping for. And, and it's going to be very interesting watching this on Telemundo coming off of our World Cup, Chris. I'm, I'm kind of uh, excited to see how this goes because we, we Univision, uh, I think, has been also the go-to place for Copa Americas in the past. In Spanish, but Mexico being out of the tournament may have opened the door for Telemundo to outbid them, or who knows what Univision's interest was. But Telemundo now building a portfolio of international tournaments where that kind of might shift people's um, that thought process about who, who is the go-to network in Spanish for for soccer. Of course, Univision does start Champions League coverage this this summer. And um, so, well, actually, they, and English rights too. So English rights we don't know yet. So that yeah, hasn't right, been decided. Right. Uh, I, my guess is uh, being sports retains that. Um, I think with Fox having the Gold Cup and uh, they're going to have a lot on, the, on their uh, on their shoulders. And to me, at least, being sports seems like the most attractive one. But I'm sure there's other suitors and, trying to get those. Uh, and uh, the Women's World Cup, right? I mean, I, oh, it's yeah. Just, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The timing of these Copa America tournaments don't fit Fox, which uh, is unfortunate for them. I don't know that they, they fit ESPN's thought process either. It seems ESPN... Uh, even though they pulled back a little bit in, in soccer coverage, they're all in on UEFA, uh, right. UEFA international competitions because they're, they're going to be the home of the Nations League as well. In, in addition to, in addition to the Euros. Um, moving on, Univision and Dish are in a carriage dispute. I think a lot of you who uh, who have Dish um, are aware of this, and, and it's been a lot of chatter about that. But uh, this is ongoing, and 
let's hope it gets resolved. Uh, let's hope it gets resolved before Champions League starts. Yeah, and it also involves Sligan TV too, which is uh, owned by Dish. So right, um, right. Uh, all of the channels on Sling TV, so the Univision channels, so Univision, Univision Deportes, Unamas, uh, Galavision, uh, none of those are available through Sling TV. And I believe one of them is available through Dish. So hopefully, and it, it all stems to the typical type of de- debates about um, Dish says that Univision is asking for more, more money per subscriber, and they're having kind of a basically a battle, a public battle about um, trying to trying to say okay that their side of the, the the argument is is better, and Univision should be getting paid more money because English channels, uh, comparative English channels, are not getting paid are getting paid more than the Spanish channels. So um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. It's been a a rough month for Univision with um, with the World Cup not being on Univision and with this carriage dispute. Luckily for Univision, the uh, Liga Mekis season hasn't started yet. So uh, if this goes on for quite a bit of time, which I'm sure is what uh, Dish is hoping hoping for, uh, to have more leverage, then then, uh, it could be difficult for Univision. Fubo TV has launched a 4K service. So for those of you who have 4K televisions, uh, they will have select games from the World Cup available in 4K HDR uh, from Fox and FS1. So if you do have Fubo, well, if you have a 4K television, check out Fubo uh, for the 4K coverage of the World Cup. And I mean, anyone knows that the World Cup is great in HD. Uh, in 4K, I'm sure it's even better. Sling TV, DirecTV Now, and PlayStation View are raising their prices. Sling Orange will now be $25 per month. PlayStation View are increasing their pl- uh, all of their plan costs by $5, while DirecTV Now is increasing their price by $5, despite promising lower consumer prices in the Time Warner trial, uh, which was, of course, the merger, Time Warner AT&T merger, which has now been... Uh, uh, rubber stamp so uh uh we thought we were gonna get lower well we didn't think <laughs> yeah lower price out of that but yeah. it, it was uh mentioned we uh, uh uh that it wouldn't be anti-competitive but um judge for yourself in the future all right moving on to tv streaming uh, actually tv ratings news and that's uh fox sports and major league soccer netted some more impressive viewing figures for games immediately following world cup games this past weekend seattle against portland had 1.15 million uh viewers and then Sunday's game, the Toronto New York Red Bulls game, had 1.10 million viewers. Uh, both of these games followed the World Cup, and they got the World Cup bounce. So for Major League Soccer, that's great news. In more realistic news, perhaps, uh, ESPN uh, featured the uh, Atlanta United against Orlando City game. And I say realistic <laughs> because... <laughs> I'm just laughing about Orlando and the way okay. they performed that match. But, it was 4-0 uh, and it could have been 10-0, by the way, for those of you who didn't watch. Wow. Atlanta won. Yeah, yeah so awesome. the viewing figure for that was 285,000. And I say realistic because, you know, I mean, that's people that actually sought out that game or wanted to watch that one versus had the World Cup on and then just left left the television set on just to keep on uh, going. Which, I, for me, oftentimes I have the, the, the TV set on all, all day. Um, and I may not be watching it, but uh, if I'm Nielsen, I'm looking at the TV ratings, I'm looking at that TV viewership, um, it looks like it appears to be someone that actually is watching those games. One more stat on the TV ratings, that's the England-Columbia game. So in the UK, 
uh, this game was on ITV, an average of 20.1 million people watched this game in its entirety. Uh, it was now the most ma- watched single minute of uh, the game was uh, later on in the game during the penalty kicks when 24.4 million people tuned in. At this point, roughly four out of every five people in the UK were watching this game. So 81% of the people were tuned in to watch uh, ITV and watch England, uh, which is pretty incredible. Four out of five people in the whole entire country were watching England against Colombia. Moving on to this, the mailbag, we've got a bunch of comments here, Kartik. First one is up uh, from Yannick Ramke, or Ramke uh, via Twitter. He says, a quick take on your discussion uh, from last week's podcast. Uh, actually, I like Fox's approach to going beyond what happens on the field. Uh, for example, the backstories, but their commentary regarding the on-field action is just unbearable. Telemundo instead focuses purely on play, play-by-play commentary, but nothing else. Craig Shapiro on Twitter uh, said, uh, Woke up live on Fox right now with the always good Kate Abdo, Martin O'Neill, Clarence Seedoff, and Alexi, and it's actually good. Alexi, ridiculous as always, but having three good pundits next to him tempers his absurdity and makes the whole watchable. Nuke via Twitter uh, says, the only thing I miss about the US not being in the World Cup is workplace uh, workplace banter and lost productivity. Feels quite odd to be the only streaming game, uh, the only one streaming uh, every game. US is not destination viewing unless they're holding on for life. I can get that from Manchester United. <laughs> Nash Rambler, uh, via uh, comment on worldsoccertalk.com says, uh, I've seen reporting that beginning in 2020, there are plans for a joint CONMEBOL CONCACAF Copa America tournament, which will then occur every four years. Are these reports credible? Have you heard anything from any of your sources that this is true? Kartik, uh, any thoughts on that one? Yeah, I, I've heard various uh, uh, theories and, and, and uh, discussions about it. I think there is uh, some definite intrigue to doing it. Now, the question is, is it something that they can sustain every four years? Will it lose its authenticity? Will it lose its ability to generate cash uh, for the, for the uh, federations and for the two confederations involved? Will it also create a problem with FIFA and the calendar where uh, – Clubs uh, will not be compelled to release uh, players uh, for for the for these tournaments and tournament and players may be it may be classified as friendlies and players may not have to uh, be compelled to, to, to perform. Now, there, I've also heard a theory, um, Nash, that um, it might be every eight years in order to mitigate that, which, which makes it kind of a very abnormal thing, but then it may maintain its authenticity. Who knows where the international game is uh, six years from now, when if potentially there would be another right. one of these, because we would be coming off a winter World Cup in Qatar. We'd be heading into a World Cup, which three CONCACAF nations are going to be hosting in 2026, and uh, the whole concept of nations leagues may have taken off by then. So... Um, who knows where we're going to be, but there's, I've actually heard that theory floated by someone in the television business, maybe every eight years for this. Hmm. Um, I kind of laughed the way you did, Chris, when I heard it. And then when I thought about it, tried the process and I said, okay, that makes sense. Cause that mitigates the concerns about it, but it does still generate a major cash cow for uh, both confederations and all the member nations in them. Yeah, the jeopardy for uh, CONCACAF especially is if they have a Comma Bowl CONCACAF tournament every four years, 
is at some point FIFA might say, you know what, let's just join these confederations together and just have one right. uh, confederation, which is the last thing that CONCACAF wants because <laughs> yeah, right. they would mi- mi- miss out on, on guaranteed qualification in, into the World Cup. Um, and I guess the other thing, though, too, I mean, for most of the listeners, myself included, uh, it would be a good thing to give CONCACAF teams um, more experience against uh, superior teams and to get them playing at a higher level uh, rather than playing down to you know, the teams from the Caribbean, etc. So um, at the end of the day, they're looking at the money and they're probably thinking, OK, if we have uh, Copa America Centenario and how fantastic that was in terms of generating all that money, if we have it every four years, is that doable? And I'm sure they're trying to figure out a way while being careful not to lose any power within CONCACAF to make that happen. I wouldn't be surprised if it does happen. Monty Reed uh, sent in this email. He says, always enjoy the podcast. Keep up the great work. Uh, before the World Cup, I was against the video review. I felt uh, like to look uh, too long for decisions to be made. And it's not fair when a player is called offside, but it's not since, it's not since play stops at the offside call. But during the World Cup, I started to change my mind. I did not, I did not mind the 10-second delay when the, re- the replay booth just wanted to do a quick check. The full reviews that I watched did not take as long as most of them in Major League Soccer takes. Until today, July 1st, the handball in the box against Spain. I disagree with the call. And then towards the end of the game, when Spain had a free kick and two of their players were being held down and tackled inside the box, and there was no review. And then in the Croatia game, the defender only received a yellow card for a foul inside the box as a last defender denying a goal-scoring opportunity. What is the point of video review if it's not going to correct these major mistakes? And some of it, too, is, um, is it's still a little bit subjective. I mean, this, this is my take on this, is that um, you, look at, you have to look at each incident one by one. Uh, and FIFA's trying to not have too much video review during games. Otherwise, you'd be stop, start, stop, start the entire game. But sometimes it's um, the referees in the in the booth saying they disagree with you, Monty. They might say that no, that's that's definitely not a foul. Uh, or in the case of um, PK in the box, uh, that's definitely a handball. I mean, he's he's blocking. Maybe it was accidental, but he was blocking um, the the header going into the net, and that prevented a goal scoring opportunity. So a lot of it is depending on the rules. A lot of it is dependent on on using video video review um, when it's needed and not going too far. Still not perfect by any means. And uh, also, Monty goes on to say, why does U.S. soccer, Major League Soccer, continue to uh, push the LGBT agenda? As an American, I can care less what people do on their own time and in their own home. But as a Christian, my beliefs uh, are that uh, the LGBT agenda is wrong. I do not want to get into the LGBT debate, but 70% of Americans claim to be Christians. Granted, not all of the 70% believe the same way I do, but why promote an agenda that so many people have a religious issue with? How does this expand the game? I stopped watching and cheering for U.S. soccer when they started wearing the rainbow jerseys. The day the U.S. did not make the World Cup, I was watching Argentina play on BN Sports Connect and was upset how EBN Sports after the game only talked about the U.S. losing and not about uh, all the other games that were played that night. And now Major League Soccer is making a big push too, so I've decided to stop watching Major League Soccer. Um, One thing that makes soccer great is that I have a lot of other leagues to choose from and watch and cheer for. So my feedback on this, Kartik, is that uh, it's a free country. 
and uh, whether, whether it's uh, religion or, or sex or other issues, is that people can make their choices. And the same applies to soccer leagues and soccer federations too. So it's all dependent on each individual and you make your choices based on that. So whether you're more attracted to a league or to a federation because they, they take that stand or if the opposite, opposite happens or if you're right in the middle and it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't care, it is what it is and it's a free country. Yeah, so a couple points here, and, and uh, this is a great point to raise. First off, uh, I think this is a reaction, U.S. soccer and MLS, unlike Fox, unlike what I just said about Fox earlier in the show, understanding their demographic, understanding the people who tend to gravitate towards the sport in this country, um, it's it, 70% of the country is Christian. That, that is correct. In fact, I think it might be higher. But uh, whatever the number is, the actual number of practicing church-going Christians is less. And then the people who tend to watch soccer tend to be younger, millennials, uh, people in urban areas. They tend to have very different attitudes about this. So I think they've done the market research and made a determination based on that. If you're offended by that, then don't patron them. I want to remind people, and I've tried to remind people throughout this World Cup, that we keep saying this is a national team. They're representing their country. Well, on the England badge, it very clearly says DFA. It's a it's a team. Yeah, it represents England to a certain extent. You just went through that that rating for people in in, in, in England and the UK, uh, but it is in its own way a team representing a corporation or a nonprofit or a governing body. That's the way I feel about the U.S. men's and women's national team now. After everything uh, we've gone through, you know, different reasons uh, than you uh, uh, than uh, th than you, Monty. But but I, I don't feel it's necessary national team i think it's a team that's very much representative of a, of a corporate entity and a nonprofit that uh, uh is a very profitable non that has a uh marketing and television alliance with a professional soccer league and their marketing company and the u.s men's and women's national team are marketing devices to put more money in in, in the pockets of those individuals who run that professional and soccer united marketing so that's my determination and i think it's a free country every, every anybody can make whatever determination they want but uh, come in with your eyes wide open these are not national teams these aren't national institutions this isn't the u.s army at war uh, abroad and you know politics stops at water's edge type of thing we have to we have to support our boys and girls abroad these are national teams that represent institutions that in many cases are deeply flawed and conflict with their own personal values and um, I think there are a lot of people who, who don't realize that when they start watching soccer. Right. I agree with you, Kantik, but I disagree with you in, in, in that uh, I think the vast majority, I think you're the minority. So I think the vast majority get caught up in the whole uh, patriotism. I mean, we saw the, the England oh, game, yeah, no how crazy that. the country's gone. I mean, fans just going... Apeshit, basically, for lack of a better right. word, crazy. You know, the FA is, a, is an institution that's uh, uh, covered up child sex abuse and pedophilia, right? I mean, right. let's see. So, if but, you want to think of it that way, maybe you shouldn't root for England. But, but, but yeah, you, you look at each country though too, and you just look at the uh, the massive appeal that and the power that that country has, that that FA has really, not the country. The FA has in each of the respective countries, if they're doing well and winning games and getting close in, in the World Cup, how much power 
whether, whether it's from sponsorship, whether it's from advertising, whether it's from all those, from the corporate side of things, how much money they can generate, how much influence that they have over a country. It's incredibly massive. Um, but yeah, good points from Monty. Um, definitely some, some different opinions there too. And I'm sure a lot of listeners probably agree or disagree with him. But uh, still, I think it's good, good to bring it up. James, last but not least, uh, James Ulysses uh, on t- Facebook, actually posted this on Facebook, said, after watching Japan hold the ball in the backfield for the last 10 minutes of their game against Poland, it reinforces my ad- idea that soccer might be uh, too slow, what well, might be slow to come out of a traditionalist mentality, which is hurting the, p- the pace and integrity of the game. FIFA has only recently allowed vid- video replays to be assessed, but would it be a good idea to have a backfield violation similar to the backcourt violation in basketball where a team cannot bring the ball back in their own half once they've crossed the center line? It seems a lot of the time can be can legally be wasted like this, uh, like, like what Japan did. Uh, this would be also better than a shot clock rule since I don't think anyone would want to see players forced to take shots from midfield just because, because the shot clock is winding down. Now, Kartik, I know you're uh, a basketball fan, so you probably know more about what he's talking about here, but what's your thoughts on this? Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, that's the violations in, in basketball are, I mean, it's smaller court. It's, it's, it's a quicker game, although, I mean, I have to say that as pressing has left the game of basketball, we've seen less backcourt violations. Now, that segues nicely to this. The defense against what Japan supposedly did that slowed down the game and hurt the integrity of the game in, in James' mind is high-pressing teams. And we see it at all levels of soccer. Last night, I called a match between uh, Miami FC and and Naples United, where uh, Naples United uh, decided they were going to press high uh, because Miami FC was keeping the ball in midfield with, you know, superior technical players. And instead of sitting deep and absorbing that pressure, as they did early in the match, they decided the only way to stop them from, you know, same sort of thing, wasting time, killing, boom, 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 tiki-taka, is to press high. That's a legitimate tactic against it. So in basketball, because it's a small court, if you press, um, if you have a backcourt press, then the the center line comes into play, potential backcourt violation. But in soccer, it doesn't make any sense. I think the defense against that is to press high. In the case of this game, because FIFA had this rule about um, fair play, and Japan knew they were going through unless they picked up some sort of silly yellow card, um, I think they decided to play it safe. There was a game between Mexico and Italy years ago, 2002 World Cup. You might remember this, Chris, where Croatia, the, the final match day, Mexico, Italy, Croatia all had to advance. Croatia got upset by whoever the fourth team in that group was. And I know I'm talking about it. It was an upset. They got upset. So Mexico and Italy spent the last minutes of the game just giving the ball back to one another. I thought that was a pretty bad spectacle. But these things happen once once in a while. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't legislate against this constantly. I mean, you can't, this is the problem with my, one of my big problems with American sports. Anytime there's any sort of thing that there's hot takes on ESPN and people get upset and the American sports media is very different than our, our, our own uh, uh, soccer football media, um, they legislate to change something. And I don't think that that's the this sport has evolved uh, in becoming the most popular sport, team sport by some distance in the world, and the World Cup has become the most popular single sporting event on this planet by some distance, including the Olympics. You don't need to start legislating for yeah. because something happened in one game. So, no, I, my, my view is absolutely not. We can't do that. 
Yeah, I, I agree. And actually, to me, I actually like the the whole method of recycling the ball, playing it back, which which is risky at times. I mean, if if that uh, other team, the opposition, has a high press. I mean, and is able to intercept one of those balls in the back. It's a one-on-one with a goalkeeper, so yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it's a different tactic. It's uh, yeah, for some games it can be boring, but uh, it's a tactic. I mean, there's a reason that they're doing that, uh, keeping possession, making the other team either commit or hold back, and uh, it's a game of chess. And and to me, even those games with uh, Japan and Poland. It's still exciting to to some degree there, but I wouldn't change the rules just because of uh, one incident or, or very few incidents. All right, guys, you can listen uh, to the podcast every every week, of course, on WorldSoccerTalk.com. But you can always reach us via email through web at WorldSoccerTalk.com, as well as on Facebook, Facebook.com/WorldSoccerTalk, and on Twitter at WorldSoccerTalk. Plus, of course, you can post comments on the website WorldSoccerTalk.com under the podcast section there and uh, we'll be sure to read those out on air so any feedback any criticisms any questions uh, advice whatever it is let us know in regards to the soccer media business and Kartik where can they find you on Twitter if you want to catch up on uh, your, your latest interviews or uh, hot takes <laughs> yeah uh, KKFLA737 uh, on Twitter and uh, I guess we'll be back for Hot Take Central Uruguay France uh, I mean Friday is just going to be wonderful the World Cup Saturday maybe less so but Friday is going to be amazing yeah Friday is going to be amazing with uh, Uruguay and Brazil in the, in the separate games and uh, even Saturday too with uh, England against Sweden and uh, Russia against Croatia those are going to be yeah, some chess, Russia, chess Croatia, matches Croatia I tell you there's a lot of potential political problems around that match uh, uh, historic political uh, issues so I'm hoping that there's no uh, hoping things are calm and Russia being the host uh, my assumption is Croatia will be uh, but yeah so Saturday I'm a little bit concerned about that game not actually yeah and I, I, I'm all for chaos so forget forget <laughs> the <laughs> forget the calm wins, that's chaos, right? that's- oh yeah Heck yeah. So it's it's down to the wire. Really exciting times. And uh, thank you listeners for joining in uh, on the podcast with us here to listen in to our thoughts. And we definitely want to get your thoughts. So, so thanks for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Audioboom, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. We'd greatly appreciate it. And Kartik, going into the quarterfinals of the 2018 FIFA World Cup. What should they do this weekend? Enjoy your football. <laughs>